say. Can you, can you verify this for me? I mean, some people here don't understand. I mean, what is soul? Allora, adesso te lo dico io. Cos'è soul? Non importa come lo fai. Più alto possibile, meglio è. Pensavi di saperlo tutto. Nel suono giù nell'Atlantico. Col miglior ritmo su questo pianeta. Canta se vuoi, non ti sbaglierai. Accendi questa bomba. It's Dr. Groove. It is Plague Tapes 123. Officially, we have reached a cessation, according to the Irish Times and the leadership. But uh, we thought we should come back and try and process a little bit of this because it's not really as clear cut as that. In fact, somebody was saying to me that it is a bit like the ending of a war. Uh, Loads of us are still suffering from some form of trauma. People have lost people, so it doesn't feel like a victory. And then there's a lot of people who still are not really prepared to go outside and feel like life is back to normal. But, amazingly enough, it feels like the vaccination and 96% of the population and the amazing efforts of workers, health workers and people on the front lines and people who vaccinated people and all those things um, have got us to a situation where it looks like we're going to emerge from this anyway. So, uh, with it still prevalent, so I think we should all just give ourselves a bit of time to process it and also it's okay not to feel okay, especially around the interpreting the line. Um, As I said to somebody, this is the difference between the line and the reality and there is definitely a space where we're going to have to try and process things for ourselves because the reality is not exactly the same as the line that we're being given. That's life. 
Uh, that's where we live it these days. So in terms of the show, I have no idea. I know that Andrew's going to do a section at the end, obviously, as usual. And I am putting together just tunes that I've pulled off the shelves here in terms of vinyl. And I thought we'll start with this one, Back to Life, and see where that goes. Welcome to Plague Tapes 123.
got a too much time Too much time I got too much time to be without love Too much time Sometime when it's late and I'm a little hungry I heat up some old stale beans Open up a can of sardines Eat crackers and dream about somebody to cook for me Too much time 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 to be with
coming to pass my country's coming apart the whole thing's becoming such a bumbling farce was that a pivotal historical moment we just went stumbling past well here we are dancing in the rumbling dark so come a little closer give me something to grasp give me your beautiful crumbling heart another disaster catharsis another half discarded mirage another mask slips i face off with the physical my head's ringing from the love of the stars there is too much pretense here and too much depends on the fragile wages and extortionate rents here we're working every dread day that is given us Feeling like the person people meet really isn't us. Like we're gonna buckle underneath the trouble. Like any minute now, the struggle's gonna finish us. And then we smile at all our friends. It's hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up, our backs against the wall. I can feel you aching. None of this was written in stone. There is nothing we're forbidden to know. And I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station. Cause I can see your faces 
There is so much peace to be found in people's faces. I saw it roaring. I felt it clawing at my clothes like a grieving friend. It said there are no new beginnings until everybody sees that the old ways need to end. But it's hard to accept that we're all one and the same flesh given the rampant divisions between oppressor and oppressed. But we are, though. More empathy, less greed, more respect. All I've got to say has already been said. I mean, you heard it from yourself when you were lying in your bed and couldn't sleep, thinking, couldn't we be doing this differently? I'm listening to every little whisper in the distance singing hymns. And I can. I can feel things changing. But it's so hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up, our backs against the wall. I can feel your heart racing. None of this was written in stone. The current's fast, but the river moves slow and I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station because I can see your faces. There is so much peace to be found in people's faces it's not enough to imagine we'll be happy when we've got enough stuff all this stuff is blocking us i'm neat with no chaser i'm all spirit but i'm sinking because these days are not days but strange symptoms and this age is our age, but our age is rage sinking to beige. And yes, our children are brave, but their mission is vague. Now, I don't have the answers, but there are still things to say. I stare out at my city on another difficult day and I scream inwardly, when will this change? I'm beginning to fade, but my sanity's saved because I can see your faces. My sanity's saved. I can see your faces, it's hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up, our backs against the wall. I can feel your heart racing. None of this was written in stone. The current's fast, but the river moves slow, and I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station, cause I can see your faces. I love people's faces. Yeah, that was Kay Tempest making me cry again about people's faces as she did when she performed here in Vicker Street had the same effect in fact I was standing just crying reminded me of my dad because he used to do that a lot of that as well and the entire set was a very strange deep delve into Dr. Groove's 
its current headspace or psychic makeup. So we had, it's a lot of it is about love, it's about heart, uh, heartbreak, gratitude, time, community, communism, fish, no fish today, um, and faces. So that was what was in the set. And I wanted to talk about the part that I had earlier on about emerging from a war because it does feel like that. And when you see people celebrating, I can totally understand that because society needs to be functioning and people need to be with each other in order for us to function as a society. And we should never lose sight of the fact that we've come through a very traumatic, collectively come through a very traumatic experience. Um, Even though we've been separated, we've come through it together. And it's really important for us to talk about that and about the kind of impact it's had on us. Um, in Ireland, we know about the cost of suffering trauma and then not talking about it, leaving it there, being suppressed. So I would hope that people, and I'm hoping to do this myself, is talk about what it's been like to go through uh, this pandemic and because we've got a great habit as McGahern says I recently read John McGahern for the first time and he's an amazing writer and he has this great quote which says that we talk about nothing by talking about everything and I thought that was very apt but as the plague fades out of our lives hopefully we are going to come together and talk about the impact that it's had on us Um. We also need to know that and recognize that we came through this together. So it was a massive act of solidarity. And we need to learn from the process. But also we have to look at the iniquities that were starkly illustrated for us by this virus. We should not tolerate a society which has created armies of lost souls. What coming through a pandemic together should let us know is that there is nothing that we can't achieve if we work at it together but also it means that we need to include everybody that we can't tolerate the level of inequality that we've seen we can't have people lost homeless and forgotten about and living at the absolute margins of society altruism and being part of a collective and backing up empathy with action can bring us to a new age of selflessness. I would hope that that's one of the goals that we get coming out of this. And I believe that if you follow on a path like that, one that centers love, it can bring us, each of us, to a certain stage of contentment and even happiness having a bigger idea and a goal to work towards outside of our own internal lives is something that I think society needs and we're going to be social again we're going to start seeing people and that is so important for us and I think we should recognize that happiness in itself is fleeting 
and it's not something that can be hunted down or pursued, as they say in the Constitution in America. Uh, it's something that should be allowed to sneak up on us. So I'm wishing all of you, the Plague Tapes listeners, that as we become a society again, which mixes and talks and laughs with each other, that you get your piece of happiness. Um, and I'm going to leave you with a quote from McGahern again about happiness. The very idea was as dangerous as presumptive speech. Happiness could not be sought or worried into being or even fully grasped. It should be allowed its own slow pace so that it passes unnoticed if it ever comes at all. Any solutions within this system are so impossible to find that maybe we should change the system itself. Some foreign power, some group of terrorists. If you don't know the past, then you don't know the future. and welcome to the news section of Plague Tapes 123 being recorded on the 29th of January 2022 after the great opening after the the sing-song arranged by the Haunted Pencil uh, last night on the Late Late Show so Ireland, Ireland what is it? Come on! What is Whatever that song? That, rugby song is, that song that they because we we don't know our own national anthem because of the the colonization was so successful that we've wow. lost that. <laughs> so uh, oh, why has it just disappeared from me? What's that? Standard shoulder to shoulder. Ireland's call. God, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was painful. Uh, to watch almost as painful as the entire pandemic put together uh, but now we're here we were just listening to previous cautiously optimistic very cautiously optimistic we are exiting this back in September and it turned out we didn't and now we're we're not exiting either are we where, where well, exactly are we no you see I, I'd actually like if, if you go all the way back to May and June where the kind of vaccination has rolled out and I'm talking about what I think the exit will look like Yeah, and actually it's turned out to be close enough to what's happened in that it wasn't going to be a single moment it was going to be quite drawn yeah, out yeah, definitely. and there'd be up and down waves with it which is pretty much what has happened since I mean Omicron was a bit of a bigger wave than we all expected yeah. um, but actually it, that wave itself has really solidified the idea that certainly I mean the phrase I was using back in June was the end of the pandemic as we know it um, and I was kind of hoping that would have happened in the summer and yeah. retrospectively actually it kind of did which is the thing 
Um, but it, it didn't. It didn't. It, it's like the um, it's like the problem I think you often have in terms of campaigns where you don't have a clear victory, but you win a fair bit, and then people are kind of like, "But we didn't win." And you're like, "Yeah, but we actually won quite a lot," uh, and it can be quite a hard thing for people to get their heads around. Um, because in fact, I was just before the show, I was looking up the severe outcome uh, proportions for the fifth wave on the HPSC website. Right. And the interesting thing is, if you just simply look at mortality, right? Um, from June 28th, which is week 26, uh, in the way they count it, to now, which is what they're, what they're calling the, the fifth wave, uh, the case fatality rate was, was 0.1%. In the pandemic before that, it was 2%. So in you other mean words... In the wave before it, that? Yeah, in, all, in the combined pandemic before that. Oh, right. right, okay. In fact, it was as high as 6 or 7% in the first wave. Um, uh, so yeah, so I mean, like the fact that it, that the the mortality rate was one twentieth yeah. of the rate it was before June, I think, yeah. does indicate that actually, yeah, that period was the end of the pandemic as we had known it, but it wasn't over. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's actually what the reality going forward is going to look like, because I, the mortality rate seems to have fallen considerably again in the Omicron wave. We won't know that for sure until we're in. But but just the preliminary data is certainly suggesting that. Um but you're still talking about, you know, probably there will be in the region of 200, 200 250 deaths this month, you know. Um yeah, that's and maybe a smaller number, but still substantial the following month. Uh so yeah, no, I it, it's I, I think we we have clearly come out of that kind of emergency period, whatever way you want to phrase it. Yeah. Um, into one where, I mean, pretty much everything is back to normal now, isn't it? Uh, uh, you know, With a lot does, of mask wearing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the mask wearing is the only. That's kind of. Only real society has totally changed in relation. I don't think. To that. What, is is there anything else at all we have anymore? I don't think so. You know. Um, yeah. You know. I mean, I think the way the way that work is situated, that's also <laughs> going to be interesting to see how it plays out because obviously people are still working. A lot of people are. Well, yeah. No, and there's a bigger home, and there's a big discrepancy between different sectors and, and that's of, about more than the pandemic of course because is, yeah, a lot of used, people are kind of going yeah. well, actually yeah. you know that, that that hour and a half commute every day to sit in an office that wasn't that great I, I'd like Quality to do it a bit less issues. frequently moving yeah. forward totally. uh, you know yeah. so some employers are dealing with that uh, and uh, we'll see I think there could be quite a, <laughs> there could be a bit of conflict around that and also I think a lot of people have realised that you know six, six, six days every two years it's not great because it means people have to come in when they're sick and then they, now I've realised that means they infect others <laughs> uh, you know so I think there's a whole load of, of, of late pandemic and post pandemic uh, struggles around work in particular that yeah. people need to get organised for I think um, uh, because certainly I think we've lent some things that are quite useful going forward and that we should hang on to. Um, the what is give us the data though data data. What's the what's the picture like these days in terms of uh, five day case average stuff like that? Because it looks like we're just not even no like, I, talking about it anymore. No, we're not. But that but that kind of like I think I might have made this point on the last show. I certainly made it in conversation to somebody that the if if. The pandemic in, didn't end because we eliminated uh, COVID-19, right? Yeah. If that wasn't the end point, then the only other end point to it could have been one where actually there could be a lot of cases, but that wasn't that much of an issue. It isn't. Uh, yeah. Because it's, inf it's, it's so infectious and it's a respiratory infection, so it spreads easily. And it's, if anything, it's, it's, 
that's multiplied as we've gone through the pandemic that otherwise every time we crushed cases they'd just come back up again and we just you know like if, if unless we could deal with high case numbers we'd be stuck in the pandemic forever we'd have periods of low cases then they'd explode but and then we'd have to react to that yeah i mean that decision was a long time ago it was fork in the road it was elimination or making it yeah endemic it's endemic right and so when they've got to the stage where we don't even talk about case numbers but I'd still like to know how, how crazy it is. Uh, well, it's also it's, it's it's much harder to do comparative ones because yeah. PCR testing isn't that accessible oh, it's still to like, so now it's all, yeah. I don't think they'll bring it back. Yeah. Um, but so the five day average then Friday was uh, nine thousand four hundred and forty. That was it, uh, and I would imagine if you account for now that's the. That's about five and a half, half thousand PCR tests plus about four thousand four hundred who reported positive antigens on the portal. Uh, but a reasonable guess would be that four thousand four hundred should really have been probably about fourteen thousand or something. So probably more like twenty thousand cases. Twenty thousand um, or twenty five thousand yeah. a day. And that's twenty thousand cases, probably representing forty to sixty thousand infections. You know, so. Um, that's probably roughly what we're, we're kind of looking at at the moment, right. you know. So, like, actually, not. I mean, the 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 number of infections has yeah. probably redu- maybe halved right. uh, in comparison with two weeks ago, but it's still astoundingly high. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think it's particularly obvious. Like anybody, uh, like the, the amount of school kids getting it at the moment is astronomical. It seems like everybody I know has got kids in school. Their kids have got it. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, the the it's in the pod or, or whatever else you know so yeah that's that's where we are with with that sort of um so effectively basically what's happening it seems to be that omicron or omicron or whatever is just ripping through anybody who hasn't got it yet like i mean it's going through the school kids but yeah. it's also it must be is it running out like how many people has it infected in the last <laughs> Well, we don't really know. We don't for know sure. the answers. But uh, however, like, we, there, there is a, running out of people to infect. Uh, well, the, there is a clue to that, which yeah. is that the, um, the the incidence by age group uh-huh. has started to come down for I think nineteen to thirty five year olds. That age group, right? Now, it's it's not nineteen to thirty five year olds have not suddenly started to stay at home. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, to me, that's that's suggesting. Possibly that's because there's so many of them have now been infected that they're recently post-infected. It's also possible that they're kind of less inclined to either do or report antigen testing. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the explanation, but that, that would be the one disclaimer. It is still going up quite fast in older age groups. Right. And I think that is the thing that's a li- going to be a little bit tricky in the next few weeks because um, those those groups and boosters will start to wait and all that sort of stuff so older people are going to get infected in relatively large numbers maybe spread out over a while um, and we know that up to now that certainly the risk to them has been very much more substantial so there is a question as to how well the boosters will hold up to protect people against uh, severe outcomes i.e. being sent to hospital or whatever else see i thought one of the things that was going on here was that in the push to you know, after the announcement, people would start to do a lot more things yeah. anyway. Like that's just yeah. natural. Yeah. Um, that there would also be people would start returning to work, or yeah. um, then they would also start dropping the kids off to like ask the grandparents yeah. to yeah, do yeah, job yeah, 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 yeah. So all that sort of stuff is going to see. There's going to be implications in relation yeah. to it spreading in that way, and yeah. of course now we. We're never really gonna. Get, are we gonna get? Um, 
back to a stage where we can actually depend on data because are they kind of dismantling the PCR or testing or I don't think they're going to dismantle it quite yet right. but what the ba- I mean what the policy change which was that they it's only now easily available for over 40s and and 0 to 3 I think maybe under 4s is the way of saying that um, yeah. the, the, that younger age group is interesting I think that's a surveillance thing because there is concern that there's more hospitalisations in that age group than than have previously happened uh, it's the one age group that, yeah, it's yeah. also the one age group that can't be vaccinated at all uh, there's no approved vaccines um, so yeah. that may be simply that they want to keep a higher level of surveillance there and also like a, a one year old can't describe those symptoms to you so you can't really pick it up that way you know yeah. Um and uh, and then the over 40s one is probably because that's the age group that are more vulnerable to be hospitalized or whatever sorry 40 year olds you're you're, you're better than 50s 60s and 70s but actually still still a, a, a substantial enough risk in comparison with the younger age groups 40 turns out to be where things go a bit south that way uh so yeah that's them trying to keep an eye on 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 that more at risk group for the moment uh I think we would probably will at some point. Like if it's the case that with once once booster protection against infection has waned, if we don't see hospitalizations shooting up, I suspect they'll probably withdraw PCR testing on the community level and just use it for people going in and out of hospitals. Because uh, obviously, you know, so you're you're then in a, a pro and of of managing infections in in vulnerable settings basically. Uh, but yeah, I think probably the days of mass PCR testing are gone. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, because you can't do that with sixty thousand cases. Well, sixty thousand infections a day. You know, no, it's just like there isn't any way of actually doing it. Um, so it was up once that started to happen, and they decided that the health system could manage that happening. Um, that's that's kind of where we are with it. Which um, leads us neatly on to the next part, which is can the health system manage? Because surely, the, like I mean, the nineteen to thirty-five year olds is interesting in terms of that demographic yeah, yeah. going down, but then we're likely to see an increase in, in the other demographics, yeah. and so that's the real question is then how does that impact on the health service? Yeah, that's by far the biggest gamble. Yeah. Um, so what's happening so far is we hospitalizations peaked about three weeks back and have been falling since we've fallen from, I can't the peak was something like a. a thousand and sixty eleven hundred something like that and uh we'd 649 in hospital this morning so almost halved in that in that period of time right. uh, and the number of new hospital cases this week was 81 percent of the previous week so it's continuing to fall uh, they've also said that about half of those hospital cases are people who have covid but are not being treated for COVID in the hospital. So that, you know, and of course that's going to happen if you have 60,000 cases a day, then a certain People proportion- People are going to be brought in for another reason, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're then going to pass Yeah, positive, if I'm in a car crash, I, I may well test positive. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, so there's that going on. Now a certain amount of those people, COVID does become an issue for them when they're in hospital because yeah. it exasperates conditions. So that stat is quite a complicated stat. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were gearing up for like 2,000 people being in hospital or 2,500 or 3,000. And in fact, if you look at Eastern European countries that have, have relatively high levels of vaccination, that's the sort of numbers they do have. Uh, you know, like if, if they're the same population as us, there's a load of places that have 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people in hospital, um, basically. 
so and is that were you saying that they have high levels of vaccination? No, they've low. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've quite low. That's levels. what I thought. Okay, so the um, so that hasn't happened. But then the announcement was like last week, wasn't it? Yeah. So we wouldn't expect that to happen yet. Nope. Okay. So then we should really <laughs> be thinking about the ten day lag from. Well, that's for cases. The yeah. announcement, yeah. So uh, and and outcomes is really going to be end of next weekend before we might start to see an uptick in hospital figures i mean even the, even the up, an uptick in cases won't tell us that much because the, the well quite, we really won't know actually as well because yeah. we're not really capturing cases well we, we're over stage. 40s we are you yeah. know oh, right, yeah. uh, like i yeah. i would say we like everybody we, we will see an uptick in cases as a consequence of opening up there's no yeah, doubt about that at all that, yeah. that, that, that that definitely is going to happen yeah uh, the question then is how much of an uptick in hospital numbers is that going to result in and whether or not that will be considered to be manageable i mean the manageable thing the irish health service is a bit of a joke anyway it's not like <laughs> i mean it's in permanent crisis anyway so extra people in hospital doesn't doesn't help that out but that the the, the bet if you like is that it will be manageable uh, in the sense that yes you'll continue to have hundreds of people going into hospital but uh, not at a level that overwhelms it and part of the reason for this is that the average length of stay at the moment is about a week so actually okay. the numbers going into hospital are pretty big i mean there were 654 new hospital cases in the last seven days right so in other words we're seeing what's that almost 100 a day about 90 people a day uh, yeah. going to hospital with COVID, uh, uh, you know, at least half of those being treated for COVID, and probably of the other half, a, a fair proportion of those ending up being treated for, you know, with COVID exacerbating conditions. Uh, so we're still seeing that. We had 30 people going into ICU with COVID in the last week. So that's what four or five a day, which again, that that's a lot, you know, like it. it and just, just that's yeah, it it is a lot. And then also the other aspect is is that when COVID becomes like when there's this much COVID going into the hospital, I mean, mm. surely the, I don't know, they must have got really good at trying to make sure that separation continues in terms of, or do we have any data on that, or are we just there's a lot of hospital outbreaks. Yeah, uh, there's yeah, a lot. So it's it's kind of like I mean the the infrastructure of an, or, an awful lot of the hospitals is really not suitable for infection control. The old yeah. buildings, you know, you've wards with 12 people in them, you've waiting rooms that have no ventilation. You you know, there's a whole, even if, like, even if the health system was better funded, but was still using the buildings it has, it would have issues. And yeah. the fact that it's not that well funded, so you're trying to push far too many people into that space doesn't help. And then the fact that you now have this huge backlog that's developed in treatment, so you're trying to push even more people through. So like it I think for the um for the HSE it's quite a difficult thing because there's they've a huge backlog of of, of of people who couldn't get treatment because of COVID pushing people out of hospital. Uh, they they're man they're trying to manage in this situation where there's an awful lot of COVID in the community, so therefore there's an awful lot of infected people coming into hospital uh that all they're coming for another reason they're coming yeah tested positive that yeah. also means that healthcare workers are getting infected outside hospital settings yeah. as well as inside so they're four and a half thousand on covid leave last week it was eight and a half thousand two weeks ago uh so i mean there's a whole load of things that just make make a system that was kind of creaking at the best of times anyway uh into, into something that's much 
more hard going forward. So, yeah, I think this is the key thing about kind of this is what makes it really scary because yeah. this is the risk they took and they never they changed nothing in terms of, as far as I can see, in terms of like we went in with a system that was in permanent crisis anyway and wasn't fit to cope, mm. and then we just just continued to pile everything on, and you know yeah, I mean there were, there was some additional resources put in, but they I mean the part of the problem I think with if you allow a health health system to run down over decades, you yeah. can't fix it in a year by throwing money at it. Oh, you know, like you have not. to. Uh, yeah. And there are infrastructural problems, and there's training problems, and there's a whole load. Yeah, of you have to like you know nurses, doctors, all of that sort of stuff. They're, they're trained people who takes takes time to train quite a bit of t- time. You know, um, I mean, I worked as a hospital porter. That wasn't a trained position, so you could hire hospital porters pretty quickly, but you couldn't do that with the, with with other staff um, and. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not to say they're doing a particularly good job of trying to fix that or that they are now getting the resources or anything else. It's still, no. it's still a juggling match going on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there wasn't, there was never going to be an instant solution to it, you know. Yeah. Well, so, you would hope that one of the things that organisations do is they, they do something when they get the other side of this, yeah, they go yeah, back yeah. and they look at it and we would actually... Well, I think it's about, this is about about government priorities more than anything else. And it's about, because we had a two-tier health system, we had a system where if you had had a bit of money, you knew you could kind of skip the dodgier parts of the public system, go private, go back into the public system where where you needed to be. And therefore, a lot of the shortcomings of it didn't impact you quite as badly as they impacted maybe 60% of the population. That became less of an option in the pandemic when exactly. every, everything got shut, but still remained it to, to an yeah. extent. Um, but it, it is the big, like, it's why we're going to have permanently have it. As long as we have a two-tier system, we will have a dysfunctional health system yeah. because it means for basically the third of the population that have more influence anyway. You know, the people who are either rich or the people who are earning more or, you know, and the people who would be connected in politically they're not going to be that stressed by the shortcomings of the public system because they have private sh- shortcuts around those. Yeah. So, like, in terms of fixing it, the two-tier system is where the problem is. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see if people decide that that becomes a priority for not that. Yeah, so way. just let me throw out those, actually. what So what has the cost of this exit period been, the fifth wave? So this is, this is from the 20, I think, 26th or 28th of June last year. Uh, there were... 770,000 confirmed cases so that's to January 24th about half of them will have been the last month Um, there were uh, so that's like as a proportion of the population that's 16% of the population tested positive (laughs) exactly yeah the thing is yeah we've been kind of like getting the flags getting boiled slowly so when you hear these stats coming back you're like oh my god that's a big number there were 9,335 people hospitalised uh, with COVID in, in that period. So again, that's a big number. Uh, 821 of those went into ICU and then there was 1,049 deaths confirmed so far. Now that's going to be an underestimate by at least two to 300, I'd say, given the, given the late death notifications. Well, okay. Um, so, so how does this play out then where we like in terms of we just continue it's obviously going to continue to infect all the the kids yeah there's an option to get what is it is it 
twelve year olds under twelve. Yeah, five five to twelve year olds. Five to twelve year olds can can get vaccinated. And uh, what's the uptake like on that? Because I would have thought Uh, it's interesting. Last figure I saw was sixteen percent. So it's not as significant as everywhere else. It's contended to fall off, which. Yeah, it's which is understandable, isn't, isn't that it? surprising? Yeah. I mean, also don't forget if you've got infected recently, you can't get va- vaccinated. And it was running through the schools last term, so yeah. there's actually probably quite a large proportion of the remaining eighty-four percent who aren't eligible at the moment. And um, I think that's true. Like there was eight in a class of twenty-five last Friday in a friend's mind's Yeah, class. yeah, exactly. So, like, it shows you how many, how much are out with it. So. Yeah, I'm not. They're all getting immunity that way. I'm not sure how quickly you can get an appointment if you want to get vaccinated. Right. I'm not, okay. not, I mean, I don't know if it's you more or less can walk in straight away, or there's a bit of a delay. I've noticed from the dose one figures that there's always a big surge at the weekends, yeah. relatively few during the week, and I don't know if that represents that they have the child's clinics are happening at the weekend because they use a different setup for those. Oh, okay, it takes right. twice as long because there's much more explaining to do. You know, I think the the workers often dress up and stuff like this so it's a, it's it's a different channel it's like it's a circus. so yeah 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 you get you, you get injected uh, by both lollipops and stuff um, great uh yeah uh so yeah it, i i so i'm not sure if the reason it's only 16 percent to what extent that is partially that actually it's not you can't do it that quickly like you know yeah uh, or I to what extent it, it's parents yeah, going i think parents are I think actually debating that them, yeah. themselves it's probably a mixture of all those things, yeah, yeah yeah so that's fine okay so that's but that's that's yeah so then you've got the under fours so we're continuing to test that and you were saying that there's were you saying that it's surprising in terms of this variant that more kids are or they're uncertain about so so there's quite I mean for instance so if you look at the US there's been quite a lot of childhood deaths uh, during the Omicron wave Um, but what's not particularly clear is that because actually there's just a vastly higher number such, of infections. Such an amount of it. Disease, um, yeah. And a lot, you know, again, this is the age group that's vaccinated least. So even yeah. if Omicron is less frequently severe for also for, for under 12s, yeah. uh, you know, so they think maybe there's a 25% reduction in, in frequency of severity. Uh, it's still the case that if you that group is not very much vaccinated, you get lots and lots of them infected. So therefore the number of severe outcomes you get in absolute terms is going to be higher uh, yeah. just because there's more infection. Um, and then there's some speculation, like, that. I mean, an awful lot of this is early stuff, but basically what Omicron seems to do is infect the upper airways first. Yeah. Uh, and that could be more of an issue for younger children, basically, just because of development processes and all the rest. Uh, so it's that okay. what's causing it. The, okay. I think the honest answer to this is so far they don't know. Uh, yeah. And, of course, there's a bit of a it can be quite hard to get accurate information because people have extremely strong opinions on what should happen with kids and should schools be open and all that sort of stuff and there's an awful like an awful lot of the publication work that's been done about it feels like the early stuff that was being published that tried to say covid wasn't that dangerous or whatever you know like it feels like there's an awful lot of research that has been quite driven by ideological positions of the researchers yeah um like there's one thing that came there's a paper that came out recently which on on one level is optimistic because it suggested that long covid in children was relatively infrequent although i think about 0.8% so it's still one in 120 be frequent enough um and part of the way it did that was it had a control group and it showed that the 
children who weren't infected had a lot of the symptoms as well so if you excluded them blah 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 but then i saw somebody point out that if you look at the detail of it it actually says that having covid substantially halves your risk of having a cough which doesn't make any sense you know when they look at the relative risks um uh, so you're kind of going okay that that study actually looks pretty flawed it sounds bogus doesn't it well not not necessarily bogus there's like it, it's quite hard to do that properly you yeah. know um it, it, it's it's a clue that that looks like something went wrong to me uh but people who really want the schools to be open or really yeah. want to argue that children don't need to be vaccinated or whatever else all seized on this study and going look long covid isn't an issue with children people who are very worried about that yeah, yeah, were then going what else and yeah. and you're kind of trying to process all this and go well okay well how reliable is this is, is this a genuine methodological error that somehow didn't get picked up is this that the researchers actually were really convinced they wanted schools open or whatever else yeah. uh, so they kind of you know were, were a bit careless or whatever what's the story with that you know so it's going to be a while before we know that the one thing i would say actually on that is the lo recent long COVID post-vaccination stuff has been quite encouraging, I think, because uh, that was certainly one of my uh, outstanding worries, which was, OK, we, we know that vaccination is cutting the fatality rate to 120th of what it used to be. Um, but is it, you know, is it still the case that lots of people are going to end up with long COVID? And if that's, you know, like I think the WHO said back in June that they thought that was... Um, 10 to 20 percent of people ended up with long COVID uh, that would be an enormous burden both for those people and for society going forward uh, but there's been both an English and an Israeli study re last week uh, basically had that about uh, vaccination uh, cuts long COVID symptoms by 50 percent right. slightly different figures in it uh, but the Israeli one rather valuably went on to say, OK, well, how common are these symptoms in society anyway? Right. Because initially you're going 50 percent is not great. That's a bit disappointing. Yeah. But actually, they said when when you looked at. So if you're talking about fatigue, right, obviously, if you you know, th these are done via questionnaires. So if you asked me if I was fatigued last week, yeah. I might very well say yes, even though I haven't had COVID. Uh, you know, course, and lots yeah. of other people might that, or you might have sleep deprivation, or you know, any of those sort of things that they're going to be there at some level in society anyway. Uh, and when the Israeli study tried to control for that, it found that after two doses, long COVID more or less vanished. Okay. You know, like that. That it was no people reporting those symptoms were no different from the general population. Now, when you say two doses, you mean two two vaccine exposures. doses? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 two doses, right? Two yeah, vaccine just, doses. Okay. Um, also, but I was also reading that they're actually, they're now beginning to, they're only now beginning to establish like some of the, the, data around long COVID. So yeah. they they um they did a scan in the UK and they found, they did on the initial scan they couldn't find, lung damage. Yeah. But they've now they did. They oh, did I think I saw that headline scan. this yeah, morning. They did yeah. The deeper yeah, scan, yeah. the deeper scan is beginning to show some lung damage in terms yeah. of so it'll probably be years before we'll ever well yeah that. i mean like we, we we already know that it takes quite a while for research to come out in any sort of finalized reliable form and of course the long part of long covid means you've actually also got to get then wait six months if you want to study yeah. over six months or whatever else yeah. you know so that that world health organization 10 to 20 percent figure that i've seen a few people cite now they that was a report from october but i think it was based on data gathered to june but 
if you think about the way they were then defining it, you needed a six month observation period. So actually that figure was pre-vaccination. Right. You know, it wasn't yeah. possible for it to be a post-vaccination yeah, okay. figure. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, you're going to have to rely on the more recent surveys and with double vaccinations and boosters. Exactly. Well. So yeah. we won't we won't really have an idea of what long COVID. Even you know, even if you started in this country with a good follow-up long COVID study in June, we're now six months on from that, and you might be starting to put your research together, and it might be ready for publication in six months' time. So yeah, in other words, yeah. it's going to be a while before we get very good definite answers. But it is encouraging that the answers are certainly pointing to a substantial reduction and maybe a reduction towards zero. Um, I, I don't think it actually will be zero, but you know that it'll be, it'll be quite a low level of risk. Um, so if, hopefully that, that comes out. But it's one of the uh, many other unknowns. And of course, one of the things with each new variant, people are going to be going, well, but what about this variant? Is that going to do that? And that's a question. In each case, we won't know for a year. <laughs> that, that, that's the way that's going to work out. So I think that is the... Um, like from it's interesting following kind of covid twitter because it's become extremely polarized in terms of there's a kind of a doomer wing that thinks we've got we've been sleepwalked into complete disaster you know that 20 percent of the population you know, have long covid etc etc and then there's a, an almost denialist wing that's going no there's no problems whatsoever it's all over this is just hysteria and anxiety and you're all imagining things that's all in your See, head this is, this is why i'm asking yeah. for some sort of way about how is how what's what's this um what's this going to look like this like we've had the announcement right and there's always a line that's given by government that you know we've moved on now yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we're coming back to normal and then there's the reality because <laughs> yeah people are living with the reality of going like oh my kids or have tested positive yeah. or my niece has tested positive or my granny's carer has just tested yeah. positive whatever so so the reality is totally different so what what is that going to look like in terms for us is it going to be a case of the line will continue to be held by government that we're returning to work yeah. um, the reality will be that we're we're living with very high numbers of cases and yeah. we're waiting then we're just waiting for the next variant is, the, is that effectively what's so, going to happen yeah so I've been I've been throwing this around in my own head a lot, right? And yeah. I'm trying to work out what it is I actually think about it, um, because like one of the things I'm I'm very aware of is that for most of us, eighty five percent, I think it is over essentially, right? right. Uh, but for fifteen percent, it's not really. You know, like if if you're if you're elderly, if you've if you're immunocompromised, if you're whatever else, yeah. then COVID is still a substantial enough threat if you catch it yeah. uh, and if there's a lot of it around then there's a fair th chance of you catching it so if everybody else is going back to normal then the risk of you catching it has actually gone up a bit um, and now just the incidence level is so yeah, huge yeah that, yeah um, now it's all I, I think it is also the case though that I mean maybe after a couple of months you're at more of an advantage because it then dies down a lot because everybody else has gone, gone off and got infected. Who knows? You know, like there's not... In a way, I think that 15% are in a position where they can't really win. Yeah. Like there's disadvantages to absolutely everything uh, in terms of how it goes on. And also, I mean, and I think before the pandemic, most of us were much less aware of them in terms of risk. Yeah. Uh, but 
as it was, like flu would be a disaster for people in that category. You know, but there was a need to be careful anyway. That I think probably a lot of us yeah, weren't really aware. The underlying conditions. Yes, category, that yeah. some of the people around yeah. us needed. Or if we were maybe aware and thought they were a bit strange about it, or you know, even if we kind of took it seriously, maybe not that much. You know, like it was that was kind of invisible, I think, to most people, unless they'd somebody in that family. I do think we've definitely learned a lot because we like just mask wearing and everything else. We've actually learned about. <laughs> from a, from our own personal experience we've learned oh well i didn't have the flu this year i didn't have like we didn't have any colds you know yeah. so we've learned that that's the way that it happens but i think i'll be wearing masks on buses in winter yeah, for some time like, yeah, so like, i think people will definitely take that part yeah. away in terms of how society works society always works on the basis of the majority so like it does seem like this 15 percent it's you know something that they're not prepared to consider but it's also one of the things that we need to think about as a society yeah that some of the lessons that we need to learn is we need to be more protective greater measures need to be put in place you need to be able to fast track rather than having a two-tier health system yeah which looks after the rich maybe yeah. we should have a healthcare system that prioritizes the more vulnerable well that's my point I mean, about that the, the two-tier like, health system yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and i mean even even with that 15 percent an awful lot of them wouldn't want to have everything locked down anyway like my parents would be in it in that for certain right yeah uh but i mean they're going to want to do christmas anyway yeah <laughs> you know uh and i mean the the the, the funny the, i mean one of the things the pandemic has made me realize which i'd never really thought about before was you know the way that every year the health system goes into crisis in early january right yeah and you kind of you just don't think about it. why is that you just kind of accept it but of course the reason it happens is that everybody goes to pubs in january and then they go home to christmas dinner and they give their elderly parents the flu or whatever else yeah, yeah. and then they end up in the hospital and yeah. that's so i think what i'm driving at there is i think yes there's this ongoing risk um but that actually was there anyway it was just perhaps we were much less aware of it right. and less careful around it as a result um and looking at the actual data in terms of you know that fatality rate dropping to 0.1 percent and actually i think it's gone below that now in terms of the omicron wave it seems to be well below that uh, and possibly that's the effect of the boosters we do, but we'll see with with all that sort of stuff um uh, with you know that that long COVID threat post vaccination certainly has receded a, a good bit okay then actually, maybe what we're in now is that we're at, this is what life looked like. Yeah. You know, uh, but we just were a bit less aware of. With, with our awareness now. Yeah. yeah, we were less aware of flus yeah. and RSVs and yeah. that winter vomiting bug. I mean, that's probably a good example yeah. of, of MRSA in hospitals. Of, yeah. You know, like were, these, these threats that yeah. are around are around and were around. And, yeah. you know, probably a lot of us went to countries that had malaria and didn't necessarily think about it all that much malaria is a, a similar uh, fatality level to covid and obviously holds those long-term debilitation yeah. and you know so the the uh, there's we there's a heightened awareness of the risks that we that we're exposed to i'm not sure those risks are now bigger than yeah. they were two years ago but if, you, if you've been vaccinated basically yeah. if you're not vaccinated go get vaccinated but i i actually think that probably that level of risk we now face yeah. is very similar to the level of risks we were facing beforehand. It's just annoying that we have this additional pathogen that is is around and can do 
can cause a fair bit of chaos and individually a fair bit of grief that you know it's a, there is an additional thing in there all right but it's kind of moved on you know we're, we're kind of moving on from it in that sort of sense of that risk has been reduced in a way perhaps it's, it's also like hiv aids you know where yeah. there was obviously a period where that was a huge risk it still is in parts of the world where there's not uh, enough medical resources yeah. um but say in Ireland or whatever with antivirals and all that sort of stuff it's you know it, it, it's not really anymore you know you still okay. have surveillance for it yeah. you still want to pick up cases you want to you know to stop it spreading you all those yeah. sort of things going on so it's like all those like does, does, I think some people imagine that there's going to be a day where COVID can just we can forget about it and it goes away maybe the will in 20 years time or something I don't know yeah. but no I mean we're still going to need kind of surveillance and well, measures and outbreaks and, be superseded by something and all that sort of stuff but uh, it, it's probably not unreasonable that we're at a point where we're going. Okay, we can probably exist with this. Yeah. That's what. That's that's the way it's going to. Maybe it would have been better if, if back in March 2020, the European Union had gone. Oh, this doesn't look good. Let's shut it down. And if America had done the same, and then they'd said, okay, well, let's whoever it's managed to reach anywhere else in the world, let's pour resources in and shut it down there. So, yeah. you know, China eliminated it and kept it eliminated apart from imports right. uh, that were happening New Zealand eliminated it you know, Australia eliminated it I mean multiple countries managed to do that yeah. maybe uh, a different outlook in 2020 at the very early on at the start would have meant we eliminated it but we're not really in a position where we can do that that's now. way yeah that's you can't we don't have a time machine so yeah, and it's in it's in mice it's in deer it's yeah, in cats right. and dogs and tigers and you know so it, it's so, like so it come back out again we we continue on this trajectory uh we're hoping like obviously the next 10 days two weeks we're gonna see the root the implications of i laugh there because up. i always seem to be saying that <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. it's always true i want to see the next two weeks of data before yeah you know and that that is going to remain true yeah. but i'd be much I, i'm putting much fewer disclaimers in this time around than well, i was going to say you on. didn't mention anything about a variant like yeah. if you do you want to drop in a claim disclaimer about a variant coming along um so i think with because the, there is a kind of variant scare going on at the moment which is There's basically omicron 2 has emerged right. ba2 which is an offshoot of omicron does appear to be about 30 to 50 percent more transmissible right which are kind of going how can it be more how, transmissible? yeah how more transmissible <laughs> like i mean because like that i thought that was like We've had this kind of doubling or tripling yeah. since Delta. Like, I mean, each one yeah. got more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, and everybody gets it within a fifteen-mile radius. <laughs> yeah, 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 like exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what does that it's actually the mean? Variant, yeah. uh, um, so that that's happening at the moment. It it seems to be starting to come. Well, it's heading for dominance in a number of countries that have good surveillance, like right. Denmark, for instance. Okay. London seems to be happening there. Um, always London, always the early adapter. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't appear to be any any more frequently severe. Right. Um, so it possibly won't matter that much. Right. You know, it, it, it squeezes, like with that sort of thing. It's just another version. It's, yeah, it like squeezes the hospital cases into a narrower space, which means the peak can be higher. Right. So that could be a problem if you know if, if that peak is two thousand cases. We know yeah. two thousand cases causes a huge amount of disruption. We yeah. know a thousand is a problem. We're currently at six hundred and sixty and on the way down a bit. So you know how far up will that go down, go up or down? That that sort of calculation is going okay. to remain relevant. So I, do, I don't think BA two is going to be an issue from that point of view because it, it will probably get the people that 
one has missed. Yeah, <laughs> we'll probably get it. Okay. Um, or maybe not. I'm, I'm continuing to dodge this. You know, it's like the flu. You don't want to get the flu. Don't don't be going out and getting it because you think you'll get it over with. What we know now is people have got COVID in various variants. One, two, three, four. You've had it four times already. You'll keep getting it. You don't get the flu one year doesn't protect you from the flu the next year. So anyone yeah. who's thinking about that, forget it. That, that doesn't work as a concept. Um, still worth you know, still worth avoiding getting it if you can, yeah. but at the same time, probably still not worth going out of your way in terms yeah, of not I'm doing not, things I'm, to avoid. I'm resigned to getting it, but then I'm also really bricking it because I just don't know. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, and yeah, also, yeah, if yeah. you've got asthma or anything like that, you're kind of going... Yeah, you could be really unlucky. Yeah, so the other question so. then is, could we get a variance that in outcome terms is more severe? The answer to that is yes, we could. Right. Uh, Delta was that, Alpha was that, Omicron actually stepped back down from those back towards the base level. We were, yeah, but we didn't know that at the early, nobody ever, we were on a trajectory where we thought, oh my God, this is going to be even worse. So yeah. kind of lucky. Yeah, and actually, it, I mean, like, it's probably a bit worse than the original form. So right. it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, so. it, it basically vaccination is what saves things rather, and, and prior infection in some countries um, uh, rather than anything else. But yeah, no, so you, we certainly could see something bounce up again. And, right. and, and that, again, then it, it becomes a question of, well, how many hospitalizations is it causing, you know? Because uh, basically what you have now is half the population have had three vaccine doses, uh, 90... Six percent of adults have had, I think, at least one, um, and I think eighty percent of eighty percent of the entire population have had at least one dose. That's it. It's about eighty point one percent, or somewhere in that region. Um, so we're including the kids, everything. In yeah, yeah, a load of people have had one, two, or three doses and being infected. Uh-huh. You know, or the other, yeah. they've been infected and then, and and then got their doses. A growing number of people have been infected twice. So that. Right. Remaining twenty percent of the population unvaccinated, a load of them have been infected once, a load have been infected twice. We got some research during the week from England that said you're if if you've been infected once, then your chances of dying on the second infection are sixty one percent reduced in okay. comparison with somebody who hasn't been infected. So okay. actually which is interesting because that's very similar to a single dose of vaccine, the level of protection you'd get from a single dose. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's interesting the way it works. Yeah. Your immune system is really working overtime there. Yeah, so, yeah. so in particular with the situation where actually most people have got their immunity through the vaccination, right? The big advantage of that is it means they come out the other side without any actual damage, right? right. Yeah. Um, whereas if a proportion of those who've got immunity because they've been infected have come out with damage because of that, so that damage could be to the immune system, could be to the heart, to the lungs. So that's a disadvantage because it means the next time around yeah if it affects the same area you're going to be yeah like basically quite maybe 10% of people who had COVID without any vaccine protection have come out with an underlying condition because of that right that's what long COVID is essentially Uh, you know so then a second infection might play on that yeah. You know, and a third one might play so you know people have died after getting infected second time and indeed third time or whatever else much better to have been vaccinated. But even so, even that infection survival is building at a population level of immunity, you know. So if you've got if you've got your three doses of vaccine, you've been infected twice, yeah. probably the sixth time, it shouldn't be that big a deal, right? particularly if you're younger. 
Yeah, uh, that starts to get a little bit more questionable when you're older. But that's you know, so it, it, that, that's kind of like the what if we get a more severe variant? That probably answers that question. Like right. in a way, it matters less. And if if you think about, it, there's four common cold coronaviruses in circulation. Right. Some of which I think OC43. Uh, they think caused what was called the Russian flu in the 1890s, which was actually quite okay. bad, killed a fair few people. Uh, but we don't we don't know if you know we're probably getting hit by different variants of of OC43 every couple of years. We don't even oh. know. Nobody's paying any attention. Nobody's doing oh, surveillance on it. It might well be that one variant is sending 50% more people to hospital than another, right. but it's a small enough number that. It hasn't been that relevant. Yeah. I mean, actually, in research terms, I think there's an awful lot of, of people wishing we'd done more research on that yeah. because that would have prepared us for yeah, COVID much better. We've now realised it used to be thought coronaviruses didn't really mutate very much. They didn't right. get variations. And once once it started happening, they went back and they looked and they said, oh, oh no, these guys are all doing that as well. Yeah. If we'd known that already, it would have been better preparation. So I think there's a good case for pouring more resources into virology and immunology and all those things so we've a better idea yeah. uh, next time out but yeah no my my uh, that that's kind of a long rant but my anticipation would be that over time the threat of a new variant recedes yeah. that it doesn't become that important and instead what we've got to worry about is what is the next virus that's going to cause the next pandemic yeah is, is yeah. the bigger question yeah. you know there was a scare about that during the week in terms of another coronavirus with a 50 percent fatality rate you know so yeah which both mers and sars one had but they just were not that transmissible and you were obviously sick um, well the the thing that will come out of this will be though our heightened alertness and uh knowledge that comes from this experience so you would think that we would probably for a while yeah yeah for a while until we forget about it yeah, yeah, when yeah. things go back to normal the other question i was going to ask is so oh i want to i want to give one one scary uh new one which is uh i was listening to this week in virology during the week and they were chatting about this a lot yeah. of the same sort of things i'm talking about here but one of them pointed out that if, if hiv had been a respiratory virus Right, yeah. because of the way it spread, and because of the way you were sick and infecting other people for months before you might feel sick yourself, right. it would have killed ninety nine point nine percent of the population. Oh my there's God. a very tiny number of people who have the, there's a particular uh, gene that gives you immunity yeah. or whatever. But otherwise, otherwise, everybody else would have been infected. And in the early days of AIDS, everybody died. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it took a while, but that was that was it. It took it took them a while to work out antivirus. So, so yeah, there's definitely the potential for a very much worse pathogen out there uh, than the one we're just coming through at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, here's the the last piece I wanted to touch on was just in terms of historically, because this has now become such a politicized debate and mm. it's become so schismed in terms of like. I was reading about uh, in the paper where there's a, a convoy of trucks now oh, that yeah, is driving yeah, to, to is it from Canada to America or from America I'm not quite Canada. sure I've, like, I've noticed the headlines yeah. some some sort of thing and it's just like like people have been fundraising for it and it's because there's there's checks at the border and if you've got the virus or if you haven't got mm. um, if you haven't received your vaccination or whatever you're going to get turned back and the whole thing is just this big political literally a juggernaut i i yeah i believe the core of that the organizing at the core of that is 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 far-right groups and individuals exactly so yeah yeah, they've certainly 
colonise that particular space. So we've had this weird thing in many countries, including Ireland, where you've sort of seen an alignment of wellness hippies uh, and yoga heads with people who are pretty openly fascist. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, you just go... Did this, like, obviously, <laughs> like, if we go back to the 19... to the to the Spanish flu, yeah. right? The, obviously, because that was after a huge political upheaval, mm. we didn't have the same sort of... I don't... Did uh, we there have, was a certain amount of that, actually. Right. But, I, okay, so. but I, actually, I think one of the important things to acknowledge with the Spanish flu and what happened afterwards, that... I mean, as people will probably be aware, one of the groups the Nazis really went after were disabled people. Right? Yeah. Uh, that, they were one of the first ones. And actually, so there were a lot of disabled people in Germany at the time. And an awful lot of those were disabled because of the Spanish flu. Like, ba right. uh, basically, I think it particularly affected um, uh, fetuses. Uh, and 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 early infant kids. So a lot of them ended up with lifelong debilitating conditions. Okay. And the Nazis had these campaigns about empty, empty mouths or something. You know, like people who who were not right. working yeah. and were just taking up. So and, you know, yeah. they they were some of the first people they murdered in large numbers. Um, so yeah, I mean they, these. Right. So it's always been like this because I would have thought that the the thing my hope and anticipation was coming out of this when it all started was. Mm that it was going to be one of those causes of unity. It, it realised <laughs> us that we, we yeah, were yeah, literally yeah. all in this together. Well, it largely and has then, been. I, I would yeah. say, so what I would say was, like, it, it should be no surprise whatsoever that today's fascists leapt on the... But it, it only kills 1% and they're the sick and the old people anyway, so what do right. we care about that? I mean, yeah. of course, that's that's their political that program. That is their line. That so, is their of line. course, this yeah. was absolutely perfect for them. Um, and yeah. we, we, should, we should probably be more surprised at the people who went along with that, yeah. you know, like a load of them kind of really, really, did you not, you know, yeah, yeah, it didn't really like, it's not just is, that you're working your with, yeah. with bad people, but it's what these bad people are motivated by. You should, should have been thinking about it. But anyway, that's happened. We're moving out of that period now. Hopefully some people are going to maybe reflect on, on just what they found themselves going along with um, as, as part of it. So that, that shouldn't surprise us. But I think in most countries, the vast majority of people did a very good job of standing together against it, saw what needed to be done and did it. Um, and in in countries where there were the economic supports that enabled people to do that, they, they did quite well with it. In other countries yeah. where they went, it didn't really work. You know, like some no. Peru got absolutely hammered because uh, there, there were no economic supports. Uh, most people uh, rely on going to the market every day for food. It yeah. wasn't that possible to just shut down, you know. Yeah. That happened. So various things happened in various in, in various countries around it. But overwhelmingly, what happened is people did the right thing and stood yeah. together. And what you had was a uh, kind of far right, an alliance of far right cranks and billionaires, basically, where the billionaires just wanted to protect themselves and wanted to make money. Yeah. Uh, and they were willing to throw a lot of funding into that, you know. So our, our local faraway cranks were involved in this were being flown around in private jets to go to meetings in Germany and all this sort of bullshit was yeah. going on. Um, uh, but most of the population were kind of, you know, that's not us. You know, like people grumbled yeah. about restrictions. They didn't like them. They particularly didn't like contradictions within restrictions. They didn't like the fact that we were all meant to be doing nothing, but the politicians were having parties in Clifton or in... Yeah, you know Downing Street, like I mean, like, you know. So the in terms of most people, where they they were not happy with stuff, it was kind of like, yeah, fair enough. Actually, I can see why that's you're not happy totally with that. That's that's yeah. bullshit. <laughs> the hypocrisy was like very evident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so that's fine. So 
but the the lesson is basically because we stood together we came out of it but the the unfortunate thing is is that it doesn't feel like that lesson is being learned in other parts of the country like or in other parts of the world mm. and america springs to mind particularly but also the uk i mean the uk still has a tory government still has like a disgraced leader and seems like it's never going to change for him i like i just like i mean so it's interesting just to to observe that in terms of i think right at the start probably even before we began to record these yeah. i made a point about you know so this is kind of march and april 2020 that if you looked at the countries handling it badly they were countries that often had very good medical systems but were ones that had empires they were colonial countries they were britain they were the us they were italy at that time they were france uh and that part of what that was about was the internal divisions that exist and are constantly recreated within those countries to enable the people in in charge to stay in charge you know um and i definitely think that's been an ongoing thing i mean like that's the whole american thing that's what that that was about i mean you had a basically a gang of very rich people who wanted to keep making a lot of money realized that shutting things down was going to affect their ability to make money and they happened to have well both those guys in the white house trump more blatantly so but biden's been a bit crap as well on it you know that that that's the situation we found ourselves in so yeah i think those yeah it's certainly like it's it's shone a light in in terms of what countries handled it well and what countries handled it badly and how would that have tied into what you would have expected again at the start of the of all this people were pointing out that you know if, if you went back and uh, two years previously and you looked at say the economist which was writing up how well is are the world's nations prepared for a pandemic and then raising them and the ones that rated at the highest were like the states and britain and you know because they had yeah. paper plans they they'd science they'd resources they would all this yeah, sort of, of stuff course, but actually yeah. for political reasons they handled it really really badly yeah uh, you know and an awful lot of those political reasons are go back to capitalism colonialism patriarchy you know that that whole kind of class yeah society. yeah it's kind of like it, it's how those people made themselves rich and kept themselves rich yeah. in the divisions they need in order to do that and that it turns out plays out very badly in the pandemic but we'd have known that from the black death i think i also pointed out that that the court of henry the eighth he knew they had when they had the sweating sickness oh, which yeah, yeah. nobody really knew what that was yeah. but it, when sweating sickness was around he shut the court down nobody came in to see him didn't yeah. do anything for the rest of the people now anywhere else in england they just yeah. got Stay on with away. producing stuff and dying but he wasn't letting you anywhere near him if you were yeah. uh, anyway symptomatic and oh, well keep these people away he, he, he cut his close contacts down to close to zero you know yeah <laughs> um yeah okay so i suppose what we do is we just wait and see again yeah 123 i think how many episodes have we have we uh said well, wait, I, I, let's well wait no you see, see. I, was trying, I was trying to stay away from wait and see in this one i'm trying right. to go actually i but, think yeah. i think it's okay of course disclaimers apply yeah you know so and of course like, there is going to be a cost and that cost falls more on some people than others and that should be part of the conversation we have but yeah. Mm. At the same time, I think this will is probably. So we could do like. Are we saying that one twenty four will be like an epilogue, like a little bit of a like? Who knows? Yeah, it might be. We've moved on, and uh, this is what we're doing now. I hope it. I hope it's not. We're now in the bunker. Uh, <laughs> I put Dermot two miles away from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're doing this via Zoom. We are the last two people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. But hopefully not.
No, it's it's just interesting that you mentioned the Black Death in the last couple of minutes as well. It's just <laughs> we've covered all the bases. Well, there. actually, I mean, I guess the serious point there is that we are probably at the stage where the resources we're putting into monitoring COVID, yeah, make less sense in comparison with the resources we perhaps need to be putting into looking for the next one. Right. Uh, that's coming along. I don't think we're quite at that stage yet, but yeah, uh, yeah there's definitely like we should have learned a fair bit out of this about how really you need to be prepared for pandemics happening, and yeah. um, they do happen. They're, they're surprisingly frequent. They mostly turn out to be less serious, uh, but the bad ones do We've come along. We've just been lucky. We've been lucky. The bad ones come along. I mean, amazingly as that sounds. Um. Okay, that's great. Thank you very All much, right. Andrew. <laughs>